Okay, I'm back. This is, um, I'm going to start as part after the introduction here. We're going to start with the question, are we a sovereign nation or aren't we? Do we not have a national flag? Do we not have a country with borders? And aren't we a sovereign nation? So I haven't had anybody to discuss this, but I'm going to start with this. First of all, the last time I checked, under the Declaration of Independence, we, we call ourselves a free and independent nation within the world. And in the development of this country and this nation, we created our flag, which is the stars and stripes, and we've established the borders of the United States, of the 50 states, basically. And we do have territories and things, but that's out, that's, cons that's another issue which we'll discuss later, but the first ones, uh, uh, the issue is, if we are a sovereign nation and have sovereign borders, then are people who cross those borders illegally, aren't they criminals? And if they're criminals, should they be prosecuted? What do you think? And you can send the comments as soon as I get the email set up, which I gotta do yet, but this is the this is like the first segment of the first part of the introduction, so. But that's the issue that I'm going to be discussing, and it's going to be that we are a sovereign nation. We have sovereign borders. We have immigration laws, but the immigration laws don't always seem to be effective or outdated. Um, we also have problems with the government, the funding and things with the people that are in the government that uh, actually have to do with our budgeting, which is called the Appropriations Committee. Most people don't really know much about the Appropriations Committee, but the Appropriations Committee are the people who actually fund the things in our government. When our government has so much of the money in taxes and things like that, it's the Appropriations uh, committee that really decides who and what's going to get funding by our government and what programs and things do you think our government should be funding and which programs and things do you think our government shouldn't be funding and why um, we're going to have to try to get some other people to discuss some of this in here but like I said I need to get the email set up I'm doing this kind of on the fly the first episodes and things like that but uh, one of the first points I wanted to discuss is the sovereignty of the United States and the problems that we're facing with the sovereignty of the United States because there are many immigration issues involved with this as well as legal aspects and many other things and I'm going to continue to bring up different various issues as I do my blog uh, or podcast rather I used to do blog but now I'm doing a podcast so I have to keep that in mind <laughs> but anyways uh, sovereignty issue and government appropriations and things like that that affect our society especially like in our pandemic deal right now because many of that money and stuff needs to go to help the people less fortunate that they, they lost their jobs or they lost their incomes or drastically reduced 
with this pandemic and things and the appropriation committees and things are arguing back and forth in the government about the funding and stimulus and all the different things that do with this which many people aren't really aware of or even really have an idea about this coronavirus thing which really came from a biological lab about level four which I don't know how many people of you know what a bio level four lab is but that type of stuff is very type of contagious and has very strict very very strict rules and things that's supposed to be followed and how it ever got out of a bio level four lab and not by a violation of protocols that they are in place for a bio level flat four lab is a good question besides being but that is also another issue that we will bring up somewhere on another topic but that's the funding right now about the PPE and things like that that is more concerning right now with the government and and the appropriations committee and different things like that and they're fighting between the Democrats and Republicans and that's another issue affecting American citizens because our own government is fighting between the Republicans and the Democrats and the question is what are they doing for the country and, and us and us they work for us it's not the other way around anyways I'm gonna continue on and hopefully I'll get the email set up so people can send me comments and other things but this is just the first segment of the second part of the introduction and the first part of the program and I'm going to stop here right now and take a little break okay thank you how do I stop this thing Hey, I'm back, and uh, I've got the email for those that are listening. It's willpennington064 at gmail.com. So if you want to send me any comments, messages, or things like that, my email is willpennington064 gmail.com. Now, back to what I was talking about. Uh, we were talking about the different segments and appropriations and uh, the sovereignty and the borders and things like that. And the other question is, too, what should we be doing about DARPA? Or DRAPA? Actually, the one that's got to do with giving preferred status to people to become citizens. Uh, the different various people that are here that were technically illegal, but they've been living here for many years. And should we, uh, since they've been living here many years, the country in a way, they're really not citizens until they're confirmed as citizens. But uh, I think that's something that we need to discuss as well, because if you let people come here and not become citizens then you're actually letting other countries into your country that can affect the sovereignty and the boundaries of your nation 
and it can affect uh, American citizens by changing the political and governmental atmosphere by getting these people in and, uh, and getting them to vote and it changes the sovereignty of our communities and other things. So what uh, Message from type of things? Press Trump dominated at his town hall event. Joe uh, Biden flopped. Show the president that you loved his performance and stand with him. 600% match gopwin.us slash XLO. Okay. Well, sometimes that comes in on mind. Uh, anyways, um, what do you think about uh, the people in, in, uh, in this? Do you think that we should have a program and shouldn't we really be making these people to become citizens of this country? And what about the possibility of the changes and things of the sovereignty in our communities and our voting and and things by if we allow these people to continue not as U.S. citizens? What are, are the effects and consequences of it to our American government and to our standard of living and other things in this country? And what about the health care and things like that if they're not making enough money and... Uh, Healthcare rises and the insurance and the states that do do Medicaid and uh, what about the long-term effects on the Medicare and things like that to the seniors and disabled and there are many many questions that involve some of this and meanwhile it seems like our government has just been ignoring them or are they just put them off and or put us off and are like they're not taking care of us they're they claim they are but in reality they don't seem to be um i'd like to hear from you out there the audience and things uh, about comments and things and like i said before uh i did get the email finally it's will pennington 064 at gmail.com so i'd like to hear your comments and things that you have on 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 the various things and how this will affect your society and the American citizens, our standard of living, and the problems and solutions that we should go about doing. Um, I'm very open to many ideas, and I'd like to hear back from you, because I think we really need to do something about this problem. I don't think we can allow it to continue, because it will change the fabric of our government and change the things of our sovereignty and many other things about our society our standard of living and our pursuit of domestic tranquility from and my, many other things Trump dominated at his town hall event Joe Biden flopped show the president that you loved his performance and stand with him 600% match gopwin.us slash xlo anyways we're back to looking at the different uh, things and how it would affect American society and really want to hear back from your comments and uh, want to hear about solutions that you could propose and some of the other things that are involved in it and what you think would happen to our sovereignty and our nation if we allow this to continue to go on. Um, we have many different questions and many different things. And I'll get to the rest of this <laughs> after a while. Yeah, I got you. There he is.
I know you're somewhere. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's still on. I gotta figure out how to stop this thing. <laughs> we're back from the tizing, and uh, I want to continue the discussion that we were having about the immigration issues and the, the deal about the, the citizens and the, or the illegal people that live here. And um, I think we should make them citizens, and I think we should require them to become citizens, or they're going to face deportation out of this country and back to where they came from. Even though if they've been living here for a while, if they've been living here for a while and that, they should be required to become American citizens. So if you want to, let, send me the uh, comments and things at Will Pennington 064 at, at Will Pennington 064 gmail.com and send in the comments of why and other things why you think they should or why they think they should not be required to become United States citizens or why they shouldn't face deportation for not becoming U.S. citizens, especially living within the boundaries of the United States. If you're not a citizen living within the boundary of the United States, should you or should you not be deported? Uh, this is the section four of the first episode of the broadcast, but I was um, kind of reviewing over some of these discussions and these questions, and there was another question that arose that doesn't necessarily pertain to this, but it pertains to the election in Alabama. Uh, Tommy Tumberville wants to privatize Social Security. I don't believe the privatization of Social Security is a good idea, especially if you take a look at how the, the so-called uh, pension funds and things failed during Roosevelt's time and why Social Security became a public law. And I think people need to look at that and be aware that Social Security privatization is not a good idea. So I want to hear your comments about the privatization of Social Security, why or why not? And then we have another issue with Doug Jones. Doug Jones has got a proposal on the Alabama Senate to restrict the rights of legal gun owners. And the problem with it is both of these people are competing for the Senate, one of the Senate seats here in the state of Alabama. So we're having like a choice between the two evils and neither one is good. So. And we don't have a time to put another candidate in to take the Senate seat in the state of Alabama between Tommy Tomerville or Doug Jones. So what do you think that we should do, especially those people in Alabama listening? I want to hear from you and your comments. So when you get a chance, send me the comments and things that you think about this at willpennington064 at gmail.com. And now I'm going to continue on about the issue of immigration and the legalization and the penalties and things they should face and why the problem. Because you deal with people who aren't citizens and how do you, uh, how's that going to affect the Medicaid program when these people get Medicaid and things and the citizenships and things required and stuff that these people are obtaining benefits and things that they don't really obtain benefiting 
but we also take care of our people and some of these people have been here illegally and been living here for years though but how do we deal with that issue and take care of that issue as well there are several other issues i got to deal with too um when it comes to this and i'm looking forward to hearing from comments from you and and stuff on my gmail so i can address some of the comments and things that you may uh send to me and, and things like that from off of this podcast and i'm looking forward to hearing from you um i have several other things that um we're trying to deal with especially uh when i was talking about the appropriations committee and I'll get to the Judicial Committee, too, because the Judicial Committee is like the second most powerful committee in the United States Senate. The Appropriations Committee is the number one powered committee, and the Judicial Committee is the number two powered committee in the United States government. So I'm going to discuss some of that later as we deal with the immigration issues at present and seeing what we should do to formulate immigration policy. Hello, this is uh, Will Pennington. I'm back with problem um, problems of America and uh, this is my fifth uh, episode that I'm going to start to record, and I'm going to discuss <clears throat> some of the things that I've been reading. I've been reading a book called United States of Socialism by Dinesh D. Souza. I don't know how many people you are familiar with Dinesh D. Souza, but it's very interesting. And his book is new. His book that I've been reading, and I'm going to talk about some is the United States of Socialism, who's behind it, why it's evil, how to stop it. And he's written many different books, Dinesh D'Souza, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name properly or not, but he's wrote Hillary's America, he's wrote Obama's America, The Roots of Obama's Rage, uh, The Enemy at Home, Ronald Reagan, Illiberal Education, and a lot of other books he's written. So he's a very uh, active writer, and he writes about many different subjects that are very interesting because he came from India, and he migrated here, and he was an exchange student to become an American citizen. And his viewpoint is very interesting considering that he is an immigrant and came to America, became an American citizen, and got away from socialism and communism and things and he came to America because of the different things and um, his viewpoints and stuff are very interesting because he knows a lot about the history of the socialism the Marxism communism and the different things that the different various people of the Democratic Party are representing and he talks uh, very interesting. Just in the inter, uh, I just read the introduction of his book, which I'm ho- I'm looking forward to reading the rest of his book, especially after reading the introduction to his book. And it's a very very interesting 
the things that he he brings up about the different things of what socialism, uh, capitalism, and uh, democracy, because he talks about Joseph uh, Sumter's uh, classic work called Capitalism, Socialism, and Democracy, and it's a very interesting work. It's another work, another book by another author, but he brings it up because um, of the various things that we're dealing with in this country, and it's very eye-opening the way he explains this stuff, and he gets into Nancy Pelosi and uh, uh, people like Bernie Sanders and the differences in uh, even their party and that because he considers these people different levels of socialism and that and but they're very uh, a lot of them are like totally against capitalism and the free enterprise system but I can also understand some of the things that he's saying because some of the free enterprise system has run uh, rapid too with powers and abuse as well because some of that becomes privilege and the elitist and things like that and privilege and there's also the other end of the category is those at the bottom that are basically the peasants of the country the peasants the slaves and other things even though we don't have slavery here in this country but in a way you are because if you're affected by the people that employ you and your paycheck your livelihood is affected by that. And other thing is jobs and things that are being eliminated as the manufacturing and things were eliminated. Um, people that depend on those jobs and can't are caught in a catch-22 type situation. They're too uh, young to collect um too young to collect a pension or they're too young for this or that. But yet, they're still in the age group where the middle class used to be for the manufacturing of this country and things like that. But the automation has displaced these workers, and they claim that, oh, they're going to replace these workers with new and better jobs. But the problem with the new and better jobs and the education of these people is the age of these people. They're not at the age where the company is going to invest into somebody that's that old to learn to run the newer machines they're going to invest that money into the education of someone younger that's going to stay with that company a lot longer than what the people that are older that learn to work for the manufacturing during those early time periods and as their jobs are being eliminated they're too old really to re-educate to go back to another type of job or the things because the the companies won't want to spend the money on that. They'd rather spend it on somebody younger that will stay with the company longer because of the age bracket. And a lot of companies back then, too, also tried to get rid of these employees that were fixing to retire and collect on their pension funds and things. Many of these companies found excuses to get rid of people for various things that were fixing to draw their uh, retirement and their pension funds and things from these companies and there was several different companies that pulled this and there were several different lawsuits against these companies and some of them were major companies and corporations that got sued for it because it's an age discrimination practice and 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 it really it's just a matter of theft by the company and corporations when it comes to these pension funds 
which was another argument back in the days of Jimmy Hoffa and Bobby Kennedy hearings and that on the pension funds back in the old days. So that, that goes way back to the days of the unions and the pension funds with Jimmy Hoffa and Bobby Kennedy. But anyways, we're going to continue um, this uh, eye-opening book by uh, Dinesh D. Souza. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's called The United States of Socialism. It came out in 2020. And I've just begun to read this book. And just a little bit of the introduction and things that I have read is already eye-opening in this election. Because this election already is into this introduction that he already has. And the introduction he already has is describing various things and, and the stuff about their agenda. And he talks about various things in his introduction which is really eye-opening and it goes to Karl uh, Marx who was uh, Marxism and uh, part of the beginning of socialism and stuff but they they uh, go back to Elizabeth Warren Bernie Sanders and very different uh, views and looks at things by these people compared to other people and it were talking about some of the things too that even went back to the old Soviet Union and Cuba and Batista and the things that happened when Castro and Raphael overthrew uh, um, Batista there in Cuba and how that the uh, Russians and things were involved in some of that and uh, let's see who else was in this um, as they were talking about the different things and they were talking about Warren and they were talking about Pelosi and the difference in their uh, deals so um, let's see I was trying to think who else was in this um, uh, it has a lot on Omar and Tlaib and uh, Cortez and, and they they talk about the media and things and they got the uh, Camila Harris in it the Democratic Senator from California Elizabeth Warren Democratic Senator from Massachusetts uh, and they talk about the different various degrees of socialism And anyways, it's, it seems like it's a very eye-opening book on these candidates and the positions where they, they maintain and the socialism and that. And they talked about the old progressivism and vote, uh, versus socialism and capitalism. And 
and they talked about uh, a model blueprint from a socialist camp. The socialists have put forward a flurry of proposals. First, an expansion of Obamacare to a national health care system, which the government has a single tax, a single payer. And that is being packaged at what, they, what he termed as Medicare for all. And the idea is so expensive that even the Democratic candidates, when asked about it, to provide health, would provide health care for ill alien areas, raised their hand to indicate that yes, it would. The other part of this camp was the expansion of the minimum wage, unemployment insurance, and the earned income tax credit to provide all Americans with a universal base income. Silicon Valley entrepreneur Andrew Yang, one of the more obscure Democrats running for president, wants to give all Americans $1,000 a month to spend as you want. And multiple universal income proposals floating around. Some versions propose all Americans would get a monthly check from the government. Others limit the unrestricted, limit the unrestricted money to Americans that are below a certain income level. The third issue of this camp for the Democrats is free college. Things have moved past, well past Hillary Clinton's program to make college more affordable. It started when Bernie Sanders offered his own largely free college scheme to Elizabeth Warren. Sought to top him by adding a plan to the federal government to forgive large portions of student debt. Bernie took back the unfurling the plan for a free college plus a cancellation of student debt. No Democrat has yet topped the offer by offering a plan to pay students to go to college. The fourth is called the New Green Deal. The New Green Deal is one that comes in a apocalyptic carriage and more than 12 years left to reverse global warming and save the planet. The alarmism is absolutely necessary because otherwise the whole thing would be like a joke. Even though fracking has proven critical to Americans' energy independence, Elizabeth Warren pledges that, if elected, she will one day sign an executive order banning fracking. And Joe Biden, Biden goes even further, look into my eyes, and he said, Recently, I guarantee we are going to end fossil fuel. Never to be outdone, however, Bernie Sanders says America under his administration, will stop using both coal and gasoline. If all this seems like a comic version of uh, Can You Top This, the humorous element is heightened further by the new New York Mayor Bill de Blasio's recent boast, we're going to introduce legislation to ban the glass and steel skyscrapers that have contributed much to global warming. They have no place in our city or our earth anymore what new york without skyscrapers is he is this a serious proposal it's widely reported on television and i don't hear anyone laughing i said to myself can anyone talk new yorkers into this this would be like talking venetians into getting rid of their canals or or paris Comparisons to outlaw outdoor cafes. So, he is very interesting in the things he says, and I would recommend this book for people.
people that are interested in the political end of things with this election and things to get a hold of this book as soon as possible and start to read it, especially with the election coming up. It's really close. I had to have a friend of mine to hunt this book down, and they finally found it for me. They had to look around, and they finally ran across a copy of it out at uh, one of the... Uh, one of the stores that's a, a shopping club, so I uh, don't use their name, but uh, anyways, the friend found it for me and got a hold of it for me because I wanted the copy of the book because I'm very interested in what D'Souza has to say because he's a very interesting man with a very interesting story that documented and, and does a lot of documentary films and things like that that is on the very edge of things that show you things from his perspective and it's really eye-opening because uh, him coming from a foreign country he sees things a lot different because he was an exchange student he came here became an american he he is a true immigrant that came into the united states that became a united states citizen and he is aware of the other issues of, from the other countries from where he came from so he's very aware of it, and he's very, uh, well, that's why he was an exchange student. He was one of the very brightest of people to come to this country. And he's still doing a job. He, he's gotten, he's taken up like the form of journalism and reporting to the Americans since he came to this country and became American. And now he's spreading the word to Americans, which that's the way we do things in America. And... Uh, Americans take a lot of things for granted that they shouldn't be taking for granted. And he's, he's bringing up the stuff that we shouldn't be taking for granted and exposing some of these things. And it's, it's really good that he is because it's a warning to us and things of the things that they're doing in our, uh, our way. Yeah, it's a warning to us to, to realize that uh, the stuff that's going on is very serious and that we need to continue to uh, wake up. It's kind of like, uh, I had another blog called Wake Up America, and it dealt with some of the problems going on in America, which that's what this program deals with. And there are some serious issues that are being hidden, and the different parties the political parties are, are like one in one extreme to the other and there's nobody that's really in the middle of the road that represents middle-class America anymore the middle people of America and what's best for America it seems like it's one extreme or the other and there needs to be a middle-of-the-road people in our in our government so that we get the best of both worlds some call it progressivism socialism and others are capitalism but if either one is not checked, uh, it causes real problems for America and the citizens of this country. Because if you have capitalism that's left unchecked, you have capitalism that runs away with the power of the elite and, uh, and becomes tyranny of the elitist and things like that. 
if you go the other way, we become socialists in a communist country. But at the same time, we need to be able to go after what's the best for America and its citizens. So we need a middle-of-the-road balance between those people and, and things. And that's what we need for this country. We're needing a balance uh, in this country to get do what's best for this country. And our government and our elected officials seem to be at one end or the other, the extreme. And that's why I started reading this uh, book by D'Souza, which is the title of it, The United States of Socialism. And it's really beginning, just the introduction is really eye-opening to what he's been showing me. So that's what I've been looking at. And it is really amazing. I'm hoping to read more of it. And my email is willpennington064 if you want to mail or email me any comments or any of the other uh, things that maybe you want me to include on shows and things like that. So that's uh, why I'm adding that to this edition, uh, this segment of the show, so that you, you can contact me. And again, it's uh, willpennington064 at gmail.com. And it's a uh, very very interesting this Sunday and I thought that it would take us good time the opportunity to record uh, a new segment to put on the air and I had to redo my uh, podcast stuff so I hope this is going to work I hope it recovered it um, and, and I've been doing a, a working on some other things for upcoming deals but this is uh, the election is don't forget to vote because the voting is coming up and uh, the absentee vote now you can't do because the deadline is passed now so be sure if you have to if you haven't voted to be sure to go into the polls and vote November 3rd I think it is because we need to put our leadership in that belongs there and as far as I go, I support uh, Donald Trump, but I do split the ticket sometimes because of the different people in Alabama, and some of those senators have been there for years where others haven't, and some of the other thing. And one of the other things I wanted to talk about was um, the privatization of Social Security. I don't think that's a good idea, and I would like to hear your comments back and forth do you think that Social Security should be privatized, or do you think it should remain under public law? I would really like to hear back from your different people about the privatization, privatization of Social Security, or is it a bad idea? Um, I believe it's a bad idea because I know the history of our Social Security program and how it came from Roosevelt because of the private sector and the things that wasn't done in the private sector and I would feel the same because of the history of the past of the private sector. I believe it's not a good idea to privatize Social Security. I believe Social Security should remain in the public domain under government programs and things to take care of our elderly, disabled, and others that can't work. And I believe that that should be uh, a governmental thing because it, it has to do with the standard of living in our country and to keep these people from being homeless, to keep them from starving, 
and things like that when they can't work and things because many of these people are too old or they've got health issues or things like that that have prevented them from working. They're not healthy individuals like many because in my time period, and that's how I became disabled, is that one in four people that worked in the manufacturing will become disabled in their lifetime. So that's one quarter of the people of this country that worked in the manufacturing during the baby boom generation that will become disabled. So that's 25% of the baby boom generation will become disabled sometime during the period of their life. And that is one of the reasons of Social Security, why our manufacturing and why our economy is so important. It's not to be taken lightly. The manufacturing of this country is not to be taken lightly. And <clears throat> that has to do with government taxes because the government can't give you anything unless there's taxes raised to raise the money to fund the things for its taxes in the government. Everything the government gives you is funded by taxes on corporations, businesses, your personal income tax, your tax on your property, all that. All your governmental services and their paychecks come from our money and our taxes. And that, that's the truth of the matter. And that's, that's another problem and another issue for another podcast because some of the people that are in these municipalities, jobs, and other things are getting paid better than the factory worker that works on the line. And the factory worker on the line is actually creating something and not just a service. And that's another issue, too, is becoming a, a, a service society rather than a manufacturing society. And that is a problem, too, as well. And that's another issue because that has to do with our national security, our pursuit of happiness and domestic tranquility and manufacturing is critical to a robust economy and a and things for the people that live here to help protect the people that live here and our families and things live here and the money and things like that goes for our military and other th issues that protect this country and that is another problem with the things that some of these people are doing and talking about the taxations and the taxes oh they should get rid of this and get rid of that but the, really what the what it is in disguise is a, a way to disassimilate your entitlement programs and things that you earned while you worked for american companies not these foreign countries american companies paid these taxes and things because one in four employees became disabled and are elderly or retired or that and that funded the pension funds and things such as social security and other pension funds like your 401ks and things like that your iras which is your uh income revenue account or i forgot what they but anyways that was the iras and the 401ks and the uh pension funds that uh you have, and there were people too that uh, that were richer that they were in these companies and some of these companies and things. They included spendthrift annuities and other things to maintain these companies and corporations to keep their families and things with the money. But now you're getting into wealth and privilege and things like that. And well, that's that's about all for today. I think I'm going to close this show out now. My uh, email, like I said, is will pennington 064 at gmail.com 
and I'd like to hear your uh, your opinions back about the Social Security privatization of Social Security, as well as the different deals on the socialism and capitalism and democracy of this country. And uh, I hope everybody has a good Sunday night, and we'll talk with we'll talk with you later on the program and. But everybody have a good night and have a good Sunday night. Bye, everybody. Okay. Now I gotta go to that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Problems of America. I am going to talk about uh, the different effects of what privatizing Social Security could do and uh, why it's not a good idea. Um, we'll start with why was Social Security formed in the first place? Uh, Social Security was formed in the first place because the workers and that that were living and paying, you know, the rent, mortgage, all the other expenses, food for the families, things like that, couldn't save enough money to provide for their retirement. So we had many, many people homeless living on the streets and many other things that weren't able to work and things like that. So they created, Roosevelt created the Social Security program to provide for those that couldn't provide for themselves anymore because of their age, disability, or things like that. So that is why privatization of the Social Security is not a good idea of the Social Security itself. Now I do believe there might be a good possibility of adding things to your social security uh, but it would be through your private things like the IRAs, 401ks, uh, spendthrift annuities, things like that if you can afford to put that type of money away. However, most in the lower income brackets which are most families from 150000 down which many, many people aren't even at 100,000. They're probably more like 35 or 40,000. But of course that was back then and today they're probably a little more money than that. But the average working man back in the old days was about 35, 35,000, $40,000 a year with a family. And that usually paid for the home mortgage and bought a house, a home, the kids, table for the kids, clothes, the automobile for the wife and the husband, uh, doctor's appointments and health care and things for the children, and many of the other uh, essentials of life basically keep the utilities on and have lights and heat and cooling and well, it wasn't so much a cooling right then because air conditioning was something fairly new yet or hadn't been even invented yet. I don't remember, but I know because in the 50s we started seeing air conditioning and stuff and the refrigeration stuff. So it, that probably was 
uh, early other stuff that they did, like carbonic ice and stuff for refrigerators, until they got the newer pumps and things and the refrigeration processes and stuff. But anyways, back to talking about the factory workers and things like that that made money. And that's another issue as the manufacturing of this country, because that also is part of the basis of your social security and the taxes, because some of that comes from the, uh, well, one of the kids, I think he made, he did it the other day, it kind of surprised me. He goes, what's FICA? Because <laughs> he just started a job and, and he didn't know what FICA was. And welcome to the real world, son. <laughs> so that income tax, the FICA, it pays for your uh, taxes and your insurance and things like that in case you would get disabled or things like that and it starts setting money aside for your pension funds uh, the pension and things when you get old and you can't work no more and it helps with your medical care and things as you get older which you will need and that's another thing why they they had some of the Affordable Care Act and that's why the Affordable Care Act is a issue as well as Obamacare which was an extension of the Affordable Care Act because the Affordable Care Act was actually implemented under the Republicans under the Bush administration and then Obamacare extended it and uh, it became an insurance issue and things uh, where the insurance companies and things uh, had a hand in a lot of that and uh, they still got a lot of hand in that that and the pharmacy and several of the other groups of people that have certain interests and in things but uh, our main concern is about as people get older uh, having a way of being able to care for themselves and that's what their Social Security does they draw their Social Security to pay their rent, to pay their utilities, to pay their insurance, their car payment, or, or repair their car, because by that time, most of them had their car, but they were having to have it repaired, usually. So they try to draw it, because they can't do the repairs themselves hardly anymore when they get that old. And then eventually, they'll probably have to relocate to where there is some sort of bus service or transportation service. Or, or they'll have to live close to where everything is located because once they start dr stop driving that they'll have to find something close and that's where your mom and pop stores and things came in because they were close in the neighborhood stores and stuff like that and that's some of the other things that have been going on that the big corporations like Walmart and things have been closing because the others can't compete with them but that's that's another thing too is what happened to all those jobs and the other thing about that too was the automation which i did a paper a long time ago about the effects of automation and the effects on american society from automation which at the time what was going on is that we had these welder lines and things like that were employed maybe 30 35 welders that made eh, probably about thirty thousand dollars a year or so 
and there were about 30 welders a line. Now you take 30 lines, 30 welders, and they make $30,000 a year, and multiply that by the 30 lines, and you can see how automation replacing those welders can affect a society in our local community in a large way when you have welders that have families and buying houses and things like that that make $30,000 a year which that's not an extreme salary actually it was a good salary back then and oh I'd say probably around the 70s but uh, things have changed since the 70s and prices have gone way up since the 70s but that's about what the average uh, middle-class working man made was between thirty to forty thousand dollars especially if he had a family and was buying a house and things like that but even that has gotten out of hand and mortgages and things like that skyrocketing and things like that and the loss of manufacturing by the manufacturing being sold out by globalists and things like that from these corporations and things that are almost all more interested in profit than they were the people that work for the corporations and that is a problem when uh, corporate greed gets so so exceedingly that the greed and that of the stockholders supersede the people or care about less about the people that are working on their lines because they don't have those people working on the lines because it's become machinery that's doing all the job now it's not the welders themselves that are doing it anymore. It's all uh, automated welding and, and things like that. They have eliminated many, many labor jobs or skilled jobs, even with this automation. So now they only need like a few tech people to keep those machines running. And the product is being built like that, but there's no more old labor because now everything is done by automated machine pretty much and as they eliminate the labor they eliminate the money in the community because each of those labors they eliminate those jobs the money from those people in those jobs where's the money that was spent in the community by those people in those jobs so now it has a trickle-down effect like Reagan said a long time ago it has a trickle-down effect because as you lose those jobs, you lose service jobs. As you lose the service jobs, because these people aren't having any money to spend on the service jobs, now you have another area being affected by the effects of the automation. And if you do that continually, eventually if these jobs are eliminated, so will the service jobs be eliminated because there won't be enough, they'll have to reduce the staffing of the service people because they reduce the manufacturing people that spend their money in the service industry. So one will affect the other and people don't quite get the connection with that. But I thought I'd bring that up too as, as I was discussing some of this. So this is a newer episode. So um, it was it's going to contain several different new ideas and concepts and things like that and as I said the automation it, it, it did a tremendous amount of things uh, and they were saying oh the manufacturing jobs will be all be coming back and all that and no they won't they won't be coming back because they're changing the way they did automation but the thing is 
it might be beneficial if we went back to the old way of manufacturing instead of all this automation. We actually went back to manual manufacturing that actually could employ people back again and, and we have a new resurge of manufacturing products and things in this country by the American people and American companies. But uh, many of the machines were sold over to the other uh, other people as these businesses and things were closed because of the name of uh, the globalization and all that. They sold some of the factories and things and they sold a lot of things that uh, they shouldn't have sold in this country. And that's another, uh, I'm going to have another topic on some of that after a while too, which that it's going to be specifically pretty much about our effect of the globalization and stockholders versus the laborers and things of the people that work for the corporations. And many people talked about that and even wrote songs about this stuff. And uh, I wanted to include some of that in this too because some of that is affecting everything else. And that, and that has to do with social security and things like that too. And if you really want to know more about Social Security, you should go look at the, uh, um, Roosevelt because Roosevelt was the PR was the one that uh, created the Social Security program. And if you listen, see about the commentaries and things that why FDR created the Social Security thing, and you might get a better picture of why. It's not a good idea for Social Security to be a privatized entity. It's a better idea that it is run, the Social Security remain in the government domain. Now, what I do believe is that there should be a way that the others can add to their Social Security and not affect the Social Security. There should be things in place where you can collect your Social Security as well as provide for more than what the Social Security provides for. Because basically the Social Security was to provide a minimum to keep people from the poverty, which nowadays poverty line is really high compared to then. And the dollar has really gotten weakened. Inflation in that has really changed the poverty lines and things like that. And the purpose of Social Security was to keep people from falling way below the poverty line and stuff like that. So that's uh, that's another thing about the standard of living in this country. And we were supposed to take care of our own and that's why we had a higher standard of living in this country. But they, with you privatize this stuff and that, you were gonna remove the standard that we set and that's not a good idea because we had many problems when it was privatized because the people in the privatized that were supposed to save for their pensions and that could not do it and they weren't able to do it and then when they got by the time they got old there was nothing there for them so that's one of the reasons social security had to be there by the government was the people that couldn't save or had no way they couldn't they couldn't implement a plan to save enough for when they got old enough to retire because they were raising families and they, they had kids and they had to pay the electric, they had to buy a house, they had to buy that where the bankers made money off of them for that too. And that's another issue is interest rates and banking mortgages and things like that and how 
manufacturing money and all that and how these banks and things make money on interest and all that stuff and uh, how it affects how it was affect manufacturing is the loss of jobs and things like that and how uh, inflation and uh, mortgage to the guys that were really uh, making hands fists oh, tons of money basically off the mortgages and why the housing market dropped because some of that also relates to manufacturing because many of those people work for the factories buy homes that are close to those factories so many of the real estate guys did real good as long as the bankers did too in the mortgages in the mortgage part departments and stuff so but that's another thing when the manufacturing falls so did the so did the housing market and when the housing market fall when the manufacturing fell the effect trickled down into the housing market as well so because if you don't have the good middle class paying jobs how are you going to buy a home and, and be able to finance it and have be able to live and pay all the stuff that goes along with a mortgage because you have maintenance and everything else on the house, you have utilities, you have your insurance, and plus you have the, probably the wife or the husband that have to have a car each and uh, they got to take kids back and forth so they got to have gas and they got to have food for the kids and things and them and they got to pay the utilities to keep the lights on, the heat for the kids and cooling for in the summertime and, and stuff like that. So that's that too. So uh, that's why many of this, you know, a lot of people don't realize a lot of this is like a, a vicious circle because it's like uh, that song that Alabama did, Turning Like Spokes in a Wheel. A 40-hour work week because that's basically what people worked back then I worked a little more than that though because our company was doing really well and stuff but that's beside the point but that's why I took advantage of it when I was younger but that's why I'm in the health I am now I worked a lot more hours <laughs> but I got paid pretty good too back then uh, but not enough <laughs> not enough when I had a wife and two kids and I had one child that was kind of sick, so I had a little extra expenses. We had a little extra expenses with one of our children being a, a kind of a special needs because she had a, a, a condition that she developed from when she was born. And uh, she's always had a problem since then, but she's doing okay now, so as far as I know. And, uh, of course, I don't have a wife anymore. That's the ex-wife now. Uh, but when we were young, we were making money and had factory and I had a good job and making good money and stuff like that. But now I'm older, retired, and not making good money at all anymore since uh, I, I retired early. But uh, I was making good money for the day when I was making money, but I couldn't save any money either when I had the kids and everything else. So I am glad that Social Security was there for me, and I'm glad I paid into it because now I'm on a re I'm retired or reached early retirement and things. So I'm glad uh, 
for that. I'm blessed in, in that way. So that's one of the reasons why I don't believe that Social Security should be privatized because uh, I understand where FDR came from and where Social Security come from. So I think privatizing our Social Security would be a really, really bad idea. And I, I would like to hear from you uh, of the audience. And my uh, email is Will Pennington. Is Will Pennington 064 at gmail.com. And I'd like to hear why you think privatization of the Social Security would be a good thing or a bad thing, or why it would not be a good thing or a bad thing. And I'd like to hear your opinion, so email me at uh, willpennington064 at gmail.com with your thoughts and uh, messages, as well as you can email me there too to let me know if you want me to do a certain segment on some other issue that I uh, might not have done a, a, a blog on, or a podcast rather, and I can try to cover the issue that you may email me maybe and include it in the podcast. Uh, it may make a whole podcast, it may be just part of a podcast, depending on what the issue is and how deep a detail we need to get into it. Uh, anyways, but... Uh, Back to what I was talking about, the manufacturing and all that, that plays a big role because it all ties into the other money that goes to restaurants, their employees, uh, the mortgages, the bankers, the interest rates. People, when you have a manufacturing plant and that, are not gonna, don't wanna live way far away. They try to live close, they try to make enough of a wage so they can live close by homes that are close to the factories so they don't have far to drive to work all the time and usually they try to keep it within a 20 mile radius from where they work to where their home is because they drive that every day as well as they try to put restaurants and things by the factories because some of the factory workers don't always stay at the factory to eat they'll go and take their lunch break over at a restaurant or something and then go back to work and uh that that we did even at when uh i worked as a light mechanic for a car dealer at one time and we did that we usually got about her so that was okay with us so we usually took our hour from about well sometimes it was noon to one or sometimes it was one to too, depending on how many cars we got through uh, but anyways uh, that was why I was talking about the industry and things like that and like I said my email is willpennington at uh, willpennington064 at gmail.com and I'd like to hear your comments about the reasons why you think privatization would be good or bad in Social Security. And uh, I, I have some other ideas about that I'd also would like them to put into place to protect uh, some of the Social Security, change some of the things about Social Security to where if you do have a 401k or an IRA, that the money from that shouldn't affect your Social Security. And 
some people it will until they turn age 70 because uh, at age 70 they don't count dollar for dollar for money that's earned where before 70 they do I'm not exactly sure where that stands as of today but because it's it's like laws laws do change and stuff and, and things like that at times but I think things like Social Security that should remain basically the same and never change except for uh, the colas I think the colas and things cost of living and, and the Social Security rates I think should be much better but to fund that I don't know how we could fund that but I would like to see uh, Social Security recipients be somewhere at least in the 50% area of somebody that makes minimum wage today many of us in the Social Security are below uh, the minimum wage uh, people and we're not even nearly close to what the minimum wage of today is and it's the gap is getting wider and wider and that's another issue and another show another podcast to talk about that anyways I hope everyone has a good night and I'll talk to you I'll be seeing you back on another podcast and like I said my email I'd like to hear from you is willpennington064 at gmail.com and good night everybody to you uh, this is problems of America and I'm your host uh, Will Pennington and my email is willpennington 64 at gmail.com for your comments and messages and uh, let me know if you have a topic that you would like me to cover on my podcast and I'll be more than willing to discuss it um, right now I'm going to do uh, this episode's going to be about limited capitalism and limited progressivism and the effects of each when they're not controlled. And we're going to discuss this because it relates to Social Security and other uh, government programs and things and has to do with many different things within an American lifestyle. And I'm going to start with uh, Roosevelt because Roosevelt was one of the first progressives and progressives were people who were trying to create uh, things that the American people were falling short because the private sector was not doing enough to take care of them so eventually well it came from uh, Woodrow Wilson actually Woodrow Wilson was sort of a progressive but he didn't he was not as uh, I guess you would say as smart as Franklin Delano Roosevelt when it came to being a progressive that uh, F Franklin Roosevelt was 
uh, Delano Roosevelt was uh, more intelligent of the things that was going on and what had to be done and Roosevelt got those things done where uh, Woodrow Wilson was kind of a procrastinator about it and he didn't do half the job what Franklin Delano Roosevelt did or we would not have had the Great Depression because when the stock market and all that crashed and that uh, Woodrow Wilson got handed uh, the Great Depression and in the Great Depression uh, people lost jobs, people were committing suicide because they lost fortunes and in general the, the, uh, the standard of living in this country was falling something serious and Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew he had to do something about it and that's where Roosevelt actually acted and started seeing what actually the country needed and what, what he had to do to help the country move forward. Now many uh, people consider progressivism uh, socialism, but it's also tied, it's not always necessarily progressivism is true socialism, what it has to do sometimes, what progressivism sometimes has to do is the standard of living of a nation and it's people of that nation because uh, Roosevelt realized how this was tied to some of this stuff and that's why we were going to discuss that and that's, that's the difference in some of the things that were going on. Um, I was covering many of this stuff and that was the difference in some of the things on which the Roosevelt got elected on and handed into the Great Depression but it was really the result of uh, Woodrow Wilson's uh, policies and things that led to the Great Depression and it is what uh, Roosevelt got handed when he got elected so he had to deal with that in 1932 he had to figure out a way of making America recover from that and that was one one of the reasons why he had to do what he did and so Roosevelt started things uh, uh, well they mentioned a, there was a mention of a book uh, called Adam Smith the Wealth of Nations and this is what progressive means it means it's a progressive way of funding progress according to the Darwin principle of adaptation Wilson's analogy however of course made no sense in fact it conveyed very opposite of what Wilson's intents to, intended to convey but then uh, when Roosevelt took over when he won the election uh, that changed and he started he started on the progressive because during the Wilson years the progressives wanted to make some changes to establish a power of a centralized state which which uh, that is actually against our government and that and when that's 
that's basically why we had a civil war was to establish the difference between the greater authority of the of the federal versus the state rights and that's what happened with that and uh I'm trying to think I follow my notes here uh I kind of scribbled them pretty quick on this one but it's a very interesting deal and when he was elected in 1933 um, or 32 rather uh, Roosevelt found himself in the midst of a national emergency called the Great Depression and that's when uh, he had to create many of the different things that he had to do and he uh, he he started doing some things that uh, needed to be done because uh, uh, of the standard of living in this and one one of the deal Franklin Delano Roosevelt who spelled in an important speech in his late presidency on January 11th of 1944 Roosevelt declared it was time for America to adopt what he termed a second bill of rights every American he insisted is entitled to a useful and ruminative remunerative job an opportunity to earn enough to provide adequate food clothing and recreation and a decent home for his family to adequate Medicare to good education and finally to adequate the protection in old age and retirement which actually is basically some of our fundamental rights that were actually he's expounding on some of the fundamental rights of the Constitution to pursue the liberty and domestic tranquility and several other things and, and the future prosperity. And this is what he's talking about, but they're, they're labeling him as a socialist, which he's not really a socialist. What he's doing is extending the original founders' rights to the public, to the general public, of what the standard of living and quality of living in this country should be. It, it, and, and it talks about that. and. I'll get to the problem with uh, unchecked capitalism in a while here after I discuss Roosevelt here. But Roosevelt is, the, the policies and things of Roosevelt right now is what I'm on, on, on the topic of. And he's very, very clear about earning enough to provide adequate food, clothing, recreation, a decent home for his family, to adequate Medicare, to a good education, and finally, adequate protection in old age and retirement, which is very uh, good because many of the private industry back in his day were not taking care of these people. These people, once they got too old to work and things like that, wound up in the street. The families suffered because then the families had to figure out a ways of caring for the elderly because no one would care for them. And if the families could care for them, they may not have had enough money to care for them. So that was another issue as well. And we do need good education in this country. And, and many of the education back then wasn't very good. Most of these people didn't even have college. Most of these, if you were lucky, had a high school education. Because uh, many of them had to go to work. And education was secondary to working. And because they had to provide for their families, food, things like that, like we were talking about. 
and that's why um, also because of the deal um, Roosevelt created the TBA which was a jobs program that helped lift out the uh, people out of the depression the TBA was a jobs program that was formed for people and, and men to work and stuff to provide for their families and things when the economy was so bad that they started working on infrastructures and things like that to help progress and advance the manufacturing and and jobs of this country and put people to work and producing things and and making ways to move goods and services across this country that's why the infrastructure and all that and the jobs and the infrastructure and things were so important TBA started establishing building uh, dams they started building uh, roads and interstates they started building the stuff that trucks and transportation used to move goods and services and they started building up telephone telegraph lines other things like that and communications and we had it was an ongoing thing throughout the country with Roosevelt and he had many obstacles to overcome with some of this but that's what he was trying to do is improve the standard of living for all Americans and many of them while he was trying to improve all Americans and they called him a socialist and I'll kind of explain why they called him a socialist so I'm going to touch on unchecked capitalism unchecked capitalism is not good either because unchecked capitalism means it that greed is superseding the, the benefits of that of the workers and things that are in the factories that produce the goods and things for these people that are part of the corporations and now I'm not saying profits not good profit is good but when greed oversees the the uh, things of the worker where the wage is not livable for the worker can't provide for his family and things like that that's why you go back to the history of the unions and you see these uh, back, well, actually back all the way to what they called company stores. And company stores were stores that were owned by companies that because you didn't make enough wage, you actually were in debt to the company store. And old Tennessee Ernie Ford did a song about that, but that was the coal mines when he's talking about number nine coal and the miners. But there were many other industries that were similar to the coal mines that did the same thing as the coal mines. And that's why Tennessee Ernie's song, You Load 16 Tons, is so important. It, it gives you a brief view of why company stores and things like that and unchecked, unchecked greed of the corporations and the people that run these corporations is not always good because they don't take care of their workers and families and the families of these workers when they work for the corporations. And that is why some of the... Uh, unions came about and things like that with the companies because they weren't providing a livable wage for their workers one of the good examples of that was the ford motor company ford motor company in the early days had riots and things like that and thugs on both sides ford and the union both had thugs to ford in fact they they had such a bad riot and stuff because of this at the Ford Company that they actually sent in the U.S. Marshals to break them up. But you can go look up the history of that because that had to do with the Ford Motor Company plant back in the early days when Ford Motor, when Ford was just actually starting, uh, you know, building cars that were for the average person. 
and that's one of the things that Ford did. That's why many people didn't realize that, because many of the people thought, well, cars were only going to be for the rich. But Ford found a way to make uh, the cars and built the cars for everybody, so they were affordable. And that, that's one of the things Ford did. Most people think he created the automobile, but he didn't. What he created is the affordable automobile, and that was the best thing about Ford. That he, he found a way that everybody could uh, actually, or almost everybody could actually almost own a Ford automobile. And that was the thing about factory workers and others that made wages and stuff. He brought the price of an automobile down so that the average man and the family could actually buy an automobile and enjoy having an automobile. And the transportation and the thing about Ford was they were still using horse and buggy, but here was the thing. What Ford did eventually was improve the speed of the automobile to where the speed of the automobile outran the horse. And that's when the automobile became more practical because the speed of the auto out, outran the horses of the old days of the horse and buggy. And that's when the automobile was really made more useful and, and they created a truck and things and engines and things like that in the automobile industry. And that's when they kind of did away with the horse and buggies when the cars started getting so much faster. But they couldn't do all of that. Just the horse and buggies still stayed for a while, but then eventually they were phased out. And the automobile took over <clears throat> as far as moving things and, and transporting people and everything across this country. Now, the trains and things like that, they're still in place because you could transport so much on a train compared to automobiles and things and you can move so much more freight and things on that because that's another industry that we had too because they moved the cattle and they moved things that were necessary for a city they had the slaughterhouses and things like that and they shipped the cattle in by railroads and things and that's where you get swift and you get the house uh, Swift and Armor and, and the packing plants like that that were into Chicago hubs down to St. Louis and down across as, as the railroad went down and across the country and expanded this country back in the 1800s and stuff but in the 1900s we were still using railroads to transport stuff and move stuff and freights and the railroads kept improving their technology as well <clears throat> but that's why uh, much of this is so important um, because when you have unchecked capitalism it, it is a problem because when the greed of the factory gets to where people can't even make a livable wage to support their family and buy necessary stuff for a family that that is why they formed unions because they were not making enough uh, money working for these people because of how much money these people were making off their backs and selling their products and gaining on that and not sharing the profits or that because of their greed and, and the corporate greed and that's always been a problem with America and that's one of the reasons with our factories and things too that we had a problem with that they don't understand when much is given to you you should take care of your people and Americans if I have people working for me that I know are doing a good job and things like that I should share part of my profit with them that's why so many of these companies have gone to um, people that own stock in the company, their owner, um, 
they're people that work for the company that own stock in the company because when the company does good they do better because they have an interest in that company and when they have an interest in that company everything is to a benefit for both the, the person or the people that own the corporation which is usually uh, stockholders and things like that but the thing is when you have employees that are stockholders that can be a help too because these people work for the corporation that's their job that's their support to their families so they want to do better as well because they make more money for their families that way and yes the stockholders make money too if they can and and that's why they they do stocks but some of the stockholders are greedy as well and saying well we made this much or we made that much we want dollars on the thing and and that's a problem with some of the stockholders in the stock market but that's uh that's some of the things to touch on and stuff because we really need to stop our corporate greed and and actually start taking care of our people that work for us and we also need the the federal government that maintains stuff like the social security and things when people are not able to work anymore that they when they can't work for the company anymore because they've gotten too old too feeble or they've gotten sick we need to have a system that doesn't just dump them out in the street that doesn't just ignore them and leave them we need a system and this is what's called a standard of living in this country a standard of living in this country is how we live in this country and the 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 things that we expect as Americans and that's that's a really important issue because we have a lot of different things that can happen to us in my my time period which that goes back to when I started working in the factories and stuff I actually started working back before the factories because I started working for gas stations and stuff before uh, they had certain rules and regulations so I started working when I was really young uh, I, in fact I started working basically for my grandfather that had a truck garden and stuff and was a carpenter and owned farms I started working for him at, at the age of 14 well actually probably 12 because we had the truck gardens and stuff that we sold fruits and vegetables out of and stuff but uh, that was another issue is because they wound up having to sell the farms because of the property tax because when you own that much real estate when you have a large amount of land and stuff and even at the ag rates if you don't have enough money coming in for the produce and things to pay that you're going to have to do something because you'll go bankrupt and they'll take your land and seize your land and things for taxes so my grandfathers did the best they could do and when they realized well that we're going to have to sell off the farms because illinois raised the property taxes so high on the acreage that they couldn't afford to keep their farms anymore of course another thing that hurt my other grandfather my great-grandfather actually was uh the fact that they did away with uh uh fur coats and things that he used to make a lot of money on by raising uh muskrats and chinchillas and things like that that he raised for a furrier up in chicago and when they did away with the fur coats and things that really affected my grandfather 
uh, took a lot of money out of his pocket because he, he made a lot of money working for that furrier. And when that happened, that, that also reduced the income off of his farm and stuff. And the increase of the property tax and things like that, too. Uh, and that's another issue because uh, food and things in this country, the farmers need to supply that. And uh, you have a problem when the farmers are losing money because of the profits and things are falling and the taxes are rising especially on their property even though a lot of farmers and ranchers get an ag rate what they're getting paid and things sometimes isn't really doing it and another thing was that the farmers were kind of duped by the banker and things into buying all this new fancy equipment and stuff which some some equipment you you had to advance and stuff like that because you you do have to keep up with some of the technology when you're in production because your production will fall behind if you don't keep up but here's the thing there were bankers and financiers that were involved in that too and they were making tons of money off the farmer and stuff so that's one of the problems with the deal with farms and ranches and the fact that they were bankers and financiers and things that these companies were making tons of money off these people while driving them out of business and that's another issue as well because that's why too and then like with Roosevelt the war broke out and when the war broke out um, some of the farmers and that helped with the war effort because uh, my great grandfather and father they plowed their crops under and, and plow, uh, started growing hemp and the reason they were growing hemp was because it supplied the stuff for life vest and it supplied the stuff for climbing ropes and things like that that our military needed. So they went and they started putting growing hemp to make ropes and things like that that, that was in part of the war effort that they needed. And my grandmother, she worked in a factory in a furniture factory and they converted the furniture factory into making aircraft and I think it was the Browns furniture company I'm not really sure that my grandma worked for that they started making uh, aircraft from that out of the uh, furniture factory they converted over and started building aircraft and that's just like uh, a friend of mine he was talking about international business machines back then during the war they, they converted over to making M1 Garants. So if you see one of the old World War II rifles that says IBM on it, don't be astounded because IBM converted into the war effort too and started manufacturing rifles for the military, which they were in a, the international business machine, but they actually transferred over to manufacturing uh, rifles for the military because they were short on rifles especially for the World War II because we in World War II we had over 240 divisions that I know of we're probably even more that was just the army there were 240 divisions so uh, who knows how many other divisions we had in the other armed forces along with that other 240 divisions in the in the army during World War II anyways <clears throat> I'm going to get back. Uh, uncontrolled capitalism and things like that is not good, especially when greed is out of control and things like that. And it doesn't provide for the working for them and their families. And that's a problem. 
because you have to have what they call a spendable income. If you're not making enough over the top, a spendable income, you're not going to be able to get a down payment for a house or things like that. And you have to make a certain percentage, which usually the recommended amount is probably about 20% of spendable income over your necessary bills. And 20 to 25%, I believe, is probably the proper range of having spendable income that helps with the economy and things like that. And it helps with our standard of living because then we're able to buy and purchase land, houses, things like that. And it helps bring up the standard of living for the families in this country. So that's why I think that. And then when we get older, uh, you may not be able to put enough money away in retirement when you get feeble and you need medical care and things like that. So that's why I don't believe that Social Security is a good idea being privatized. It needs to remain under the government. So when we can't get the enough money to build our, or find, fund our retirement, that uh, we need something to fall back on and that that is what that government social security program does as well as Medicare because that helps us in a great deal when we get old, feeble and elderly or disabled and that's why uh, the privatization of social security is not a good idea. Um, it's a very bad idea because Back in the old days when the companies and things were supposed to be able to do that and help you with that, uh, they didn't do it. And that's why the government, that's why Roosevelt created the Social Security program was because of that reason. And I believe that, that has to do with the standard of living for our elderly in that. And I don't think uh, the, some of this newer generation sees our elderly like a throwaway, oh, oh why, why should we take care of them? They don't contribute to the society or that anymore. Well, let me tell you something. You need to learn to respect your elders and your dis the disabled, those are less fortunate than you. And that's the problem when you have such greed that they don't worry about people in this country that are not as good off as you. And that's against our biblical principles. If we're a Christian company, uh, country. We're supposed to take care of the poor. We're supposed to take care of the widow. We're supposed to take care of the orphan. And this is following our biblical principles. And one of the things about our biblical principles is we're also supposed to take care of priorities. Our priority is first to our family. Well, actually God first. It's to God, our family, which is the husband and wife and the kids. And then it is to our business relations and things like that and our business dealings and then as a nation we are to take care of the people in our nation and from our nation it moves on to the people who are our neighbors of this nation and that would be people like Canada and Mexico and and that that are right on the American borders and because those people are our neighbors and if we're following true Christ, Christian people our principles, we need to be taking care of those people after we take care of our own. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be taking care of our own first, which is our families and business and things here in the United States. It's our nation. But then, the nations that border this nation, we are supposed to be helping those nations because those nations are our neighbors. And that 
that is why it is so important that we deal with Mexico and we deal with Canada. And then as well, the other people that we need to deal with are down through Panama and Venezuela and, and the South American countries because they are attached to the land that makes those people our neighbors as well. And then after we take care of those people, which is the whole basically North and South America, then we need to deal with taking care of the people in Europe that are allies and things like that and helping those people as well to make stuff better for their lives and their people as well, but not at the expense of our people. But we need to be over there and helping what we can help. And, you know, many of them will probably appreciate that help because um, America doesn't have an unlimited resources. It would be great if there was a utopia in the world, but we live in the real world and there's no such thing as a real utopia. There are always gonna be problems in people. They're always gonna be poor. There's always gonna be others that need help. And that's what America does. America usually helps these people, but we have to take care of our own nation first. We cannot give away all the stuff that we have of the prosperity because it, to give away all our prosperity would lower our quality of life and our families and things. And we need to have our quality of life so we can help others. And as long as we have a good quality of life, then we can share in the blessings of, of the things that profit us and that we can help others with. And that's something that we need to see in our government because our government has been doing things uh, giving money to the enemies that hate this country and we should never be doing that we should not be helping those who are our enemies we should be doing anything but helping those enemies because if you're against the united states we shouldn't be funding you a and we should make that perfectly clear if you're against the United States and its policies, you shouldn't be getting any American dollars. And that's something that we need to revise in our government and our laws and things like that. And there's several other things like no foreigners should own our uh, land. Only Americans should own any type of land in the United States border, either the uh, born citizen or the naturalized citizen of this country. But no foreign entity or individual or business should own any type of property here in the United States if they're not American or, or like I said, naturalized citizen. And we need to put a law on the books, but you have to contact your representatives and things to mention to put this on the book. Because recently uh, I was looking at something too, that China was buying up our prime farmland and stuff where most of our wheat, grain and, and things are produced. And that's not ever a good thing. If you mess with our agriculture like that, in the wheat, grain, and that, that's one of our biggest exports, usually to China, uh, Russia, and Europe, and other places around the world. We we transport, we tr uh, send a lot, a lot of grain and government programs and things to these different foreign countries, and that to help with feeding these starving people and things of all these different foreign countries. But that's why we need to get back to uh, JFK's program. He had a program at one time under JFK to help these people. 
and that would be a good thing to revive and bring back would be the programs like JFK but only with the revised that we will not do it for any country that ha hates Americans it's the people that hate Americans and won't won't change their way or their governments and things like that that we need to clearly make clear that we will not provide you any foreign aid or any type of help if you don't believe in, I mean your government hates America or your people hate America we're not coming to that country to help you it's that simple and we also need to be uh, taking care of our allies because our allies are our friends and things like that so we need to look at that too because they're they're different things but the United Nations is not um, is a problem too which I did a thing on the United Nations and things like that are which is really the new world order and the new world order versus the free and independent nation I did a podcast on that prior to this podcast I thought I would record this podcast and get it off because it, it's close to an election here I think we're down to less than six days or something from the election now and I'm going in because I'm going in to vote and because of the even though the social distancing the risk of the thing but here's the thing I came from the draft and stuff like that they could have sent me to Vietnam I could have been dodging bullets so a virus thing to me is is just just another thing that we're gonna have to deal with and that's another problem too about our standard of living and things like that and there should be certain programs and things that were during Reagan's time period and prior to Reagan's time period that we should re re reactivate and reorganize to protect this country from different threats like this because this definitely came from China. It came out of a Bio4 lab and that's the problem. Once you let something out of a beaker like this, it doesn't get put back in it real easy. So there needs to be uh, people that are uh, what was called E-WESP in the early days, which was a classified, very classified unit because you would get in trouble even if you mentioned it in public in, uh, before 1981 when Reagan declassified E-WESP because it was the early warning systems personnel. And those early warning system personnel were trained in everything from nuclear to CBRN, which is chemical, biological, radiological and nuclear warfare and that, that's very classified but uh, this falls into the categories of some of the stuff in the CBNR training which because some of that chemical and biological biological also includes germ warfare most people don't realize that and viruses and things are considered germ warfare and <clears throat> that's why we need to be looking at many of these different things anyways that's that's about the end of my podcast for today but i hope you enjoyed the conversation and again my name is will pennington i'm the host of problems of america and my email is will pennington 064 at gmail.com and i'd like to hear back on the comments of today's topics from you and i hope you enjoyed the show and i'd like to hear your comments and things back from the show of different things that were in the show 
and you can always write me and message me at, at, at Will Pennington 064 at gmail.com and I, I really love to hear back from the you, you the audience and I hope everybody has a good Thursday and I hope to hear from you sir and don't forget to vote because the election's here and we need to make a choice and we it's a serious choice we need to make and right now I don't think with the pandemic and thing is a time for changing leadership as well as uh, and things that have surfaced on Biden too I or yeah Biden and Hunter and all that and the things that Giuliani had and stuff I think we need to kind of think about what's going on here and make a wise decision of who we're voting for and um, for me I believe I'm going to support Trump because I don't think a change in leadership today is a good idea under the pandemic and the problems that we're facing right at the moment now is not a time to change our leadership our leadership needs to remain in place and secure because of what's going on uh, I believe there may be a time when we need a change of leadership, but I don't believe that right now is the time for a change in our leadership. Anyways, I'm going to get out of here and close this show. I've already ran a little over what I normally do in a broadcast, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm hoping that I did run a little over and, and that many of you people are listening will keep your ears open as I wrap up the broadcast here on my uh, podcast so uh, look forward to hearing from you soon and my email is willpennington064 at gmail.com and like I said I don't think right now would be a good change of leadership right now in a pandemic situation I think we need to remain with the same leaders that we got right now so anyways I'm going to get out of here and hope you all have a blessed day and a good one. So we'll talk to you later.